It is a slow process. He gets angry. He does what the people deserve, what he said he would do, and they cry out. Here's what I want us to remember as we start into this one. Words have meaning. Every word he says means something. Every word of scripture means something. Now, I am not saying we need to digest every single word here and try to figure it out. But the words of scripture matter. They mean something. Now, we read this, and typically all of us, myself included, we read it from an American point of view, a Western point of view. But all of scripture was not penned. Not the scripture was penned from a Western point of view. It's a totally different point of view. We need to remember that. Because what we think words may mean today, they may not have meant back then. But they do have meaning. In fact, the fact that uh, we have to look at scripture that way, it, it makes it hard. It's like trying to communicate with somebody from a different culture or land. You got to sometimes ask the question, well, what do you mean by that? Now, that's hard because that means you have to actually stop your thought process and go, wait, Judy, what do you mean when you said, you know, this? You know, what did I mean when I said that? Uh, those of you who are grandparents, have you ever experienced that with your own grandkids or great-grandkids? You said something, it wasn't, or they said something, and you're like, I don't get what you just said. You know, you thought you did. We live in a world that is different than the world of Scripture. We live in a world that as Christians, especially Christians who've been around a long time, is different. One of our best things I think we could put into our vocabulary is, what do you mean by whatever that is? What do you mean by faith? What do you mean when you say God said? Because I can jump to a conclusion and all of a sudden I'm not on the same page. Words have meaning, though. Words have power. Words have power. The, the powerful word here, I think, is the nation of Israel forsook the Lord. What? Just that word forsaken. Power. Our younger kids, we don't talk like that much anymore. And probably for good reason. But have you thought that the words you speak have power? Whether you intend for them to have the power they have, they have power. And this whole uh, section of Judges is filled with words, unlike any other section of Judges. It's filled with a lot of talking, with a lot of people saying things. We read what the nation has come to. And then we get, we get the words from God himself. We read these words from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, the Moabites, the Moabites, oppressed you and cried out to be helped. Did I save you from my hand, from their hand? He's going back and he's recalling. This is one of the few times the Lord himself speaks in the book of Judges. And if we look at what he's saying here, uh, maybe we don't want the word of God to speak much, because what it does normally for God's people isn't comfortable. 
words have power. The nation of Israel cried out before that. You know, they 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 cry out to the Lord, we've sinned, we've we've forsaken you, our God, and we've served others. For once there seems to be this idea that they understand what they have, what they've done. But here's the thing, words aren't as powerful, they can be cheap. And, and I think up as I've been studying this, that this idea that God sees their words, and, and we think, wow, oh, this is a great thing, right? God is going to call them on their bluff. Words are cheap. You can say this, but you've said something similar every other time. You've cried out because life is hard. You've cried out because you are pressed on every side. And God responds and says, Did I not save you from their hands before? But you keep going back. See, words are cheap if you say one thing, and then when things get good, you go another way. Your actions will speak louder. The words of the nation of Israel become cheap in the eyes of God. I wonder where in my life my words have become cheap in the eyes of God. Maybe your words. Where have we said one thing? But when we go, we, we may not even realize that we are saying it again differently before. And so God says in, in a very powerful statement in verse 14, Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them say it. And then a marvelous thing happens. God stays silent. Never again in this section does God speak. Never again in the, in the kind of the formula of judges where he is to raise up a leader do we ever hear that the Lord raises up a leader. He stays quiet. And we are to wonder in, a, in a, a chapter filled with words of people speaking to one another, what is God up to? What is he doing as he remains silent? Because see, I think we need to see that, that sometimes God is passive. He doesn't rise up to Let's just see that. It never states that. His spirit goes upon him. We read but he never claims he has called Jephthah. In fact, even though others say that the Lord is my witness, he never condones anything. He's sitting in the background. Wait. He never responds to the next plea of the people of Israel. Do whatever you think is best. Except they go on to say, if they would have stopped there, I didn't make this story different. Do whatever you see what is best, but rescue us and rescue us now. I did. I've called out many a times uh, to God, many a times in my life, that what they normally, 99% of the time, have in common is I'm in trouble. Lord, save me, but do it now. Lord, save me, but if you would have done it yesterday, I wouldn't have been here. And I think in those moments, in God's infinite wisdom, and in his justice, and in his love, 
He says, I'm just going to step back with him. And then you go on. God is sometimes passive. He is sometimes silent. But that does not mean he is not in charge because always God is in charge. His passivity doesn't mean his acceptance. His passivity means he's still going to work his plan, whether you want it or not. He still gives victory to the nation over the Ammonites. But notice he doesn't deal with the Philistines yet. He doesn't. He goes on. The Philistines will be in the next chapter. But we will see time and time again, as I mentioned, I believe it was last week, that the enemy that Israel can't ever kind of overcome is the enemy within themselves. And they're going to fight themselves again in Judges 11. As we start to pick up that their real issue isn't outside. It is their own issues, their own pride, their own way of talking, being cheap, their own way of saying one thing and doing another. And sometimes you and I do that. Because of God's great love, he doesn't wipe us out. But he is slow to anger, rich in love, full of compassion. Why do you experience anything good in this day? Not because you deserve it. Why did the nation of Israel experience relief from the Ammonites? It's becoming clear it wasn't because they deserved it. It was because of God's grace. As we are going to come in just a few short moments to the table of the Lord, we don't come to this table because we deserve it or because we are saved. We come to this table because the Lord says, come. Not because you deserve it, but my grace overcomes your dysfunction and deficiencies. God's grace in the book of Judges can take a Jephthah, whose mother was a prostitute, who had been kicked out of his family, who gets a game by modern standards to come alongside him to do his will. God is in charge. But let us remember, words be cheap. We can proclaim God is Lord all we want, but it doesn't always mean we live up. The call of, the, of a Christ follower, you would be this day, is not just to have words, but a life that says it. A life that shows this. I mean, as we go on, we read uh, later on in the book of Judges, in, uh, Judges 10, 16, these words. The nation of Israel had got rid of their foreign gods. They decided to come back to the Lord. And, and the NIV that I normally read from says, and, and the Lord could not bear Israel's misery no longer. The more I study this, that's not, it gives us too glowing of a picture of the nation of Really, I think what we could say is, uh, here, if I could try to translate it, but I've studied it this week, and the Lord's uh, soul was so frustrated with the nation of Israel. His soul got short. And that's why it remains silent. 
See, because sin always frustrates who God is. It's contrary to his character. It's contrary to who he is. He's a holy God. Sin always frustrates that. And there is a time when the, 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 the weight of sin, when it is complete, is so frustrating, God just has to step back. I know I've said it before, but I, I think that this is where we see Romans chapter 1, where when we have it our own way, when we allow sin to totally, completely control us, God says, I can do nothing but step back. Unless you have what you want. And here in chapter 11 of Judges, we see God giving the nation of Israel what they want. And so I say this, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you focus on. The next stage is the Gileads. They come up and they say, I tell you what, whoever will be the first to lead us in the battle, we will make head over all of us. You will just get to rule us forever and ever. And so they start searching. God never raises up because he has allowed the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the tribe of Israel at this time to go ahead and have what they want. Will it work out for them? Is the question we can ask. Will it work out for us? Is the question we should ask. And so they call out, who will fight? Who will do our bidding? Who will, who will command our forces so that we can be rescued? There's almost this idea that since God didn't answer them in the way they wanted him to answer at the time that he, they wanted him to answer, they're just going to go do it anyways. And here they're trying to manipulate their own countrymen. Hey, if you rescue me, you get to be the head honcho. I mean, how nice would that be, John? I mean, you could be king for a day. Maya would have to do your bidding. You're, you didn't sound too excited about that, Maya. No? Ain't happening, huh? You know, but, you know, but that's the case. At Hannah, if you would just win the war, you could be queen forever. How cool would that be? Yeah. Noah would have to do everything you said, or you could be like off with his head. You're a little too excited about that. But how, how nice that is, right? Who doesn't want to be as seen as a leader? Who doesn't want to be, hey, I can get a little game here. They really need something. I have what they have off they need. And if we're not careful, we play with the hands. Be careful what you wish for. The, the Gilead they do it. And unfortunately for them, they can't find anybody in Gilead who will do that. Or no one will. They find the man they kicked out to do it. And then they try to, we, we talked about words of meaning, we talked about words are powerful, they try to manipulate Jephthah and say, I tell you what, we will let you command our forces. And you can be a leader in our country. They, they didn't say you could be our leader, because he replies back, uh, somewhat rightfully justified. So, didn't you kick me out? Didn't you say, I want nothing to do with you? I remember what you said and what you did. Now you come calling that I have what you need. 
He's proven his case. He actually already has an army to some extent. He could do the job. And he calls on their blood. And, and he says, okay, if I go and fight the Ammonites, verse 9 of chapter 11, and the Lord gives them to me, I win, will I really be your head? Will I really be that leader? I know what you said to everybody else. Are you really going to do what you say you're going to do? They invoke the name of the Lord of God. Always be careful when you make a vow. We will certainly do as you say. So he became their commander, their leader, their head. They got what they wanted, or so they thought. Be careful what you wish for. We then read that Jephthah is very good with words. He knows how to do things. Except he makes one mistake. Look with me in here to verse 24. He says this, which is a mistake on his part. Will you not take what your God Kamesh gives you? Likewise, whatever the Lord our God has given us, we will possess. Now you and I may not realize that he made a mistake there. However, uh, Sion, king of the Amorites, would have. He claimed they worshipped the God who did not. Was not their chief God of peace. Moloch was their chief God. Words were not careful. Words. Not that I think that's the only reason that the Israelites and the Amorites go to war. They were already bent on that. This wasn't going to be a peace treaty. However, we also see here that Jephthah, his second mistake in those words, I believe, is not that he got the uh, Amorites' uh, God wrong. He also put his God, the God Yahweh, same in line with that one. He's just another God. And maybe we're seeing why God's soul was frustrated so much he just stepped back. Because he wasn't going to be manipulated any longer. So as they go out to war, he goes out and, and uh, he's going to uh, go and he makes this vow. When he says in verse 30 and 31, he prays, but he's already given us his character. He thinks God, Yahweh, is nothing different than any other God. And he, what he does, what everybody around, what Sion, king of the Amorites, is going to do to his God, if you give me this victory, I will do this. Whatever comes out of my house will be yours. I'll sacrifice them. See, he's still trying to manipulate God. And here's the thing. God will not and cannot be manipulated. Nothing ever gives us any indication that God accepts this God. See, if Jephthah really would have understood the Torah, he know God doesn't want this type of thing. The nation of Israel cannot 
manipulate God to say, do our bidding. We, as Christ followers, cannot and God will not be manipulated by our words to do our bidding. Sometimes we try. Sometimes I try. Or if just uh, if church would just go well, I mean, I, I, I'm better than Pastor So and So. I mean, I don't mean they're a bad guy, but you know, I, I try hard enough, God. And he reminds me, it's not my church to build, it is his church to build. What God asks of us is faithful response to who he is, regardless if our neighbor, the fellow Christian, is doing the same. How many times we get popped by others or by ourselves and we try to make a promise to God. If you'll do this, I will never do that. Sometimes God, it seems God does what he wants to do. We're saved. The Israelites are saved. But God wasn't there manipulated into doing that. You and I can't make God do what we want. God will do what God will do because he is God. And so we read, they get Jephthah comes home and who shall come or what shall come out of his house but his daughter? Now we, we go, my goodness, what was he thinking? Well, if we understand that in those days, um, not only in the house would have been family members, but every animal that Jephthah and his family owned. There might have been an inkling in his eyes that, you know, his, it wouldn't have been a human being who would have come out. It would have been just an animal. Very similar to maybe the first thing that comes out of my house is my dog, Dobby. Not that I want to sacrifice Dobby, not that it's ever okay for that to happen. But that would be much better than if Eliana came out. Maybe he was thinking that. The thing is, is he was trying to manipulate God. If we want somebody or some or God to do our bidding, we'd say words that we ought not say. And if he really knew the Torah, as he indicates, he understands the history of Israel. He knows that the book of Leviticus, God provided every person a way out from a vow that they made rashly and quickly without thinking through. But he never said he he said, well, why didn't God stop me? Because sometimes God says, I will not be manipulated. I'm, I'm not going to stop you sometimes from your own devices. We also see here the principle that we have this day that hurt people hurt people. Jephthah had a chip on his shoulder. You kicked me out. I'm going to make sure I take care of it. You kicked me out. And he never deals with his own pain. And so he hurts others. He does the unthinkable to us, even to maybe some around him. But he never allowed the Lord to be truly the Lord. Are you hurt? Is there a pain of your past? Is there something that has happened that maybe no one else knows, but you're, you're letting that be the chip on your shoulder? If you are not careful, 
which counseling is one of those ways you will hurt somebody, not necessarily because you plan to, but because hurt people hurt people. Let God do the work. It's going to be painful. It isn't going to be easy at times, but it will be worth it. Jephthah hurts not only his daughter, but himself. In this, and I'll try to wrap up, in this setting, we see that Jephthah has only one kid, a daughter. And in those days, if you had no offspring, if you had nothing, your life ended. He not only destroys the Amorites, he not only destroys his daughter, he destroys himself in the process. And after he dies, there are no more. And if that isn't enough, what we start to read in those minor judges afterwards is the first one of Idzon. He had how many? 30 sons, 30 dollars. Is it truly just the number 30, or is this a realization that this is different? He does other things for this bit that he ought not to have done. We see the contrast. We see that when we try to manipulate God, we only hurt ourselves and others around. Typically, the innocent. We live in a world that's hurt by God. We're hurt. And what is happening is in this hurting world, we are hurting one another. And what is the primary way we're doing it? with our words. So as people of faith, my challenge to myself, my challenge to us is we are called to live a different way, a better way. So let us start watching our words. Yes, somebody may say awful, mean, nasty things to you. It will happen. And it's easy to happen online. But we have a choice on how we respond back. Here's what James says when he talks about watching our words. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. The key for there is brothers and sisters. Not those outside the people of faith. It's not those that do it to us, but it is how we respond back. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? What's the answer to that? No. Not happening. So soon it be from us. Can, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Can you get an orange? Out of an apple tree. Has that ever happened in your house, Jeff? No. No. Alright. So we we stand here, we sit here, or wherever we are, we praise the Lord this morning. 
Now let's not undo our praise as we curse one another this week with our words. The Lord is the Lord not just of Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Watch our words with God and with others. And if it's hard for you to watch your words, come to the Lord. He can help. Help. But not only just watch your words, be in the truth. Be in God's presence. That's what was happening with the nation of Israel. Time and time again, they, they got away from the truth and they saw their God just like every other God around them. Jephthah has enough of an understanding of history that he knows enough, but he doesn't get fully in the truth of God's word. And so he does the unthinkable. You and I, we should be people of the truth, people of the word, or we will do the unthinkable. But see, we can't let our innocence or our ignorance be an excuse for missing. Jephthah's daughter was innocent. He was ignorant, and they both They both were destroyed. What does that mean? What about you and I? Well, we come to this table. We come to this time. And I think the book of Judges, if it should remind us anything, especially this morning, if we are not careful, we will think that because one time we said the right words, we deserve this table. Words of sheep. It's not just whether or not you can say in your heart, the Lord is my Savior. But is it will you say with your life, the Lord is my Savior. Even with God seems passive in silence. And so those of you watching this online, if you haven't already, get some elements, something that can symbolize this, if you would like to partake with us. All we ask is not... Uh, whether or not uh, you have at one point in time made a confession of faith. That's important. But are you willing also to confess today and tomorrow and every day to try your best of the faithful where Jesus is Lord? He's not just a Lord of your life. He is the Lord of your life. And if that's you, then this table is open because this isn't First Baptist Church St. Paris' table. We may do it in our own way. But it's not about us, it's about the Lord who said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, those who are broken. And I will give you rest and I will give you fullness. Because at this table, we find grace and love and compassion, healing, hope. Because it reminds us that when there are many moments in our faith, and in our world, that God is passive and is silent, 